Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always fright. Welcome to the greatest show on What is up, everybody out there? You're listening to Talking Terror 66.6 on your FM dial. I'm your host, the King of Horror, Andy G, welcoming you to this episode where we got nothing but hair metal all two hours long. Where tonight, we're going to be talking about Black Roses from 1988 and their single, Me Against the World, directed by John Fasano. But first, we are joined by my only co-host this evening, the psychotic simian, the Med Monkey. Get funky with it and rock, Monkey. This is the Mad Monkey! Welcome to Judy Live from the Dragon Monkey Rehabilitation Clinic, where we, the Talking Terror Crew, which is only the king and only me tonight, will bring you the baddest two hours of horror podcasts that you have ever heard in your entire life. So just make sure you listen live. Make sure you listen on Spotify. Make sure you listen on iTunes. We don't really care just as long as you listen. What's up, King? <laughs> what up, monkey? Make sure if you guys are at home, you crank up that volume knob and tear it off. You won't need it for this episode. That's how meta we're going to get tonight. Oh, yeah. Hey, Talking hey, about some hey, meta later on in the episode. <laughs> oh, hey, meta. Raise up the horns and kick it for the devil. Because that's what we're going to be talking about later on in the show. And as we said, uh, we are not joined by the ghoul. We're definitely not joined by the dean tonight. Sorry to disappoint uh, his many fans. Uh, but, no, it's just the monkey and I for the next two hours talking about horror as only we can. So before I kick off with some things to talk about, monkey, do you have anything you'd like to bring up before we uh, go to the horror news desk? Shout at the devil! Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so keep, so keep it up with... <laughs> Meadow! Yeah, this is going to be the entire thing. <laughs> so strap in, kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, speaking of metal and things like Vikings and shit like that, okay, Loki is still going on on Disney+. Plus. We are now on episode two and three. Um, and I got to say, I have no fucking idea what's going on. <laughs> I am confused as okay. shit, and I, and I am loving it. Uh, I am loving that they are going into parts of the Marvel Universe that I am not familiar with, storylines that I have no idea what's going on. And I'm enjoying that I'm getting something really fresh here for, as far as, like, me, I, you know, just me, I'm concerned. Just because a- anytime we watch other stuff, we're like, oh, they're tapping into this storyline, they're tapping into this, you know, storyline, they're tapping into this character, so they're going to bring this thing on. I have no idea what's going on. And I'm literally just going for the ride, and I'm just having a really fun time with it. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of hardcore fans out there that know exactly what's going on, but I am not one of them. And, yeah, but still, it's fun. It's interesting. They're taking you all over the place with this series. And, yeah, if you've not done it yet, you know, get on the wagon and give this thing a try, man. (laughs) And you know what Loki is? That's metal. (laughs) Well, you've got to get a guitar riff in there for this episode. <laughs> you know? <laughs> 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 guitar riff for Loki. Turn up the horns. 
we're going to see how cheap we can get. But speaking of Marvel, speaking of Disney, which leads us to Star Wars, all right, I just also want to bring up, you know, long time fucking coming. Carrie Fisher is, is got her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. You know, she she finally got her her star, hmm. which I, okay. I think is just fucking awesome. Uh, other people that are also getting it this year are Francis Ford Coppola, Coppola, excuse me, uh, Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> That's right. Slap, slap, okay. your hands on your, slap your hands on your face and go. Ah! Yeah, I can't believe it either. That's not <laughs> Okay. No. You know what's not metal? Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> He's all about the ring. Not metal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but you know what is you know what is metal? Willem Dafoe getting yeah. a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. That is metal of this metal. <laughs> and fucking metal dude. <laughs> and only thing that could be possibly more metal than Willem Dafoe and definitely way more sexy. And I'm talking about too sexy, too sexy is Selma Hayek is getting a star. So, oh. yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, that's metal. That's, that's sexy metal. So there you go. Get that soft. Hell color. yeah. Every, you know. uh, hell yeah. Everybody says Kitty Twister? I know I have. And that's that's place is fucking metal in this shit. <laughs> yeah, satanico pandemonium, baby. Hell Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's damn yeah, stripper, that bar really guy. fucking with it. <laughs> yeah, then other people like not again, not so metal. Ian McGregor, and then this one, I just like, mm-hmm. I just gotta say it. Ray Liotta is getting a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. <laughs> hmm. Ray Liotta. Okay. Well, yeah. I guess they're just handing them out this week. I think everybody gets a star this week. Apparently, maybe we get a star. <laughs> That would be metal. Oh, shit. You're, oh, yeah. Here you are, man. You're on the fucking list. King of horror. Fuck yeah, man. That's metal. <laughs> yeah. I get a star. You get a star. You get a star. All of our listeners get stars. They're just handing them out this week. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oprah's handing out stars. <laughs> well, yeah. If they're giving them out, might as well take one. Sure, I'll take one. <laughs> Put mine next to George's. Thank you. <sighs> Sorry, we don't have a star big enough, like, for both of your feet, King. Uh, you're only going to be able to do one foot. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, just one foot and one hand like Andre the Giant. That's fine. <laughs> the old Andre. <laughs> no, but that is very cool, you know, those announcements. You know, I, I heard it. This, I think Jason Momoa is getting one, too, which I'm not quite sure why. But, eh, you know, they're giving them out. I, I guess, though, if they're giving one to Jason Momoa. The fuck did he do? Oh, that's oh, right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but then he was also on Game of Thrones for, for uh, part of season one. Oh, that's right. And then after that, yeah. I don't know. Just a, yeah, a, a um, handsome looking fella. Yeah, I think maybe Old Spice commercial. <laughs> no, maybe. I don't know. I, 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 just, I saw that announcement. He's like, I'm just so happy. I'm so proud. I was like, okay, well. They're just giving them out now. <laughs> you know, yeah. like and, everybody who listens, I'm like, okay, I get it. But, yeah. but some of them, it's like, really, dude? I mean, come on, really? All you're doing is like, you know, qu- quitting smoking commercials right now, man. <laughs> it's like, you know, those are good fellas. Those are great. 
<laughs> Goodfellas was a great movie. Don't get me wrong, man. But <laughs> you, you didn't really do much after that. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, you know, I mean, I like Ray Liotta, but he's about a star in love. But then again, I don't know. <laughs> like I said, they're giving him out. But why not Ray Liotta? <laughs> you know, Goodfellas, good. Mm. And he's done a bunch of other movies, I'm sure. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but you know what? Man. I'm not a filmographer in terms of Ray Liotta movies. <laughs> I think he was in another one called The Island, which was a ripoff of Lord of the Rings. I mean, Lord Lord of the Flies. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then last in, uh, of my news. Yeah. Oh what? Okay. <laughs> no, keep going, man. Keep going. I, I was just gonna say last last of my news that I want to bring up is because again we are here by ourselves. You know what we can talk about? ABCA. <laughs> <laughs> Because, because on, on the on the talking chair page, which is always fucking metal, always all the time, just like they're fucking professional. Um, yeah, you, you put up a link for Anisa is now releasing an Ultimate Wolfman figure to accompany the Ultimate Frankenstein that they're putting out there, and this thing looks fucking tight, man. You know, Lon Chaney style interchangeable heads. He's even got his fucking pimp cane. Uh, the the figure looks really yeah, fucking dude. good. <laughs> yeah, the sculpt uh, looked really uh, good. You know, yeah, I was impressed. Yeah, yeah I just yeah, hope they do a black yeah. white variant for this one. Um, they might. I mean, they did one for Frankenstein's monster. So I know that there's yeah. a, a green one, and then there's a black and white one. So they might do a black and white one for, for Wolfman as well. I'd be surprised if they didn't. Um, but who knows? Maybe Frankenstein's more popular than the Wolfman. So they might just do one. I don't know. But, I mean, either one I'd be happy to have. I mean, I'd rather have the black and white Frankenstein monster and then have the, you know, the color uh, Wolfman. But we'll see. I mean, either way, they're just amazing sculpts and a lot of accessories that come with it, which is always fucking metal when you get accessories yeah. you know, that you can put with it and, and yeah. change it with. I mean, it's, it's, it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, and it says I'm excited about this one just because story-wise – Wolfman is my favorite of all the Universal Monsters. It's like, creature-wise, no, but story-wise, this one has the best story, in, in my opinion. It, it mm-hmm. flows really well. There's no lulls. It, like, it just keeps moving. It does, you know, especially for a movie of that time, to, to just be so, you know, quick with it. Not lull anything, you know, just keep that story moving, you know, and, and keep the story Lawrence Talbert going is the most important thing. And uh, out of all those movies, I think it is the most fast-moving at least the most interesting, because Frankenstein is, is good, not just because of Boris Karloff and, and the makeup that Jack Pierce did yeah. back then, but the, you know, story-wise, it fucking drags. <laughs> like, yeah. For that monster to come to life <laughs> and finally, you know, walk around. You know, it's the same way I felt about Bride of Frankenstein, where it's like you have all this build-up, and then you have at the very end her coming to life, and it's like, oh, cool. You're like five minutes. <laughs> yeah. The bride before yeah. everything goes down, so... It's De- definitely a slow burn. Like year old movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed it is. Yeah, but no. So, um, yeah, stay tuned for the the Wolfman from NECA. Uh, so they, they're always doing a great job. I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day about how I still wish they would make an ultimate Dr. Loomis for their ultimate line. You know, uh, I yeah. Just, I don't see why not. Like, they just said, why not? You made a Lori from 2018's Halloween which is fine, you know, if you're a fan of that character and of the way she looked in that movie, but why not do an Ultimate Loomis? You already have the license because you did the claw figure. So it's not like you don't have the license. It's Donald Pleasant's face to do a, a, you, a sculpt. And you, 
and you already have the head sculpted. You, you did it for the cloth figure. So you're already saving money there. You've already got the head sculpted. All you got to do is just put a, put a body in the trench coat. That's it. I mean, if they really wanted to go, like, really fucking wicked metal with it, you know, they could make alternate heads for him. You know, Afterburn from, you know, part two. Like in part four, he's got the oh. star on his face. You know, make a screaming face. Make an angry face. Like, you know, there's different ways you can go about a Loomis figure and, and give it alternate heads and hands. You know, give him the gloved hands yeah. from part four and five. You know, yeah. Yeah, and you give him a revolver, and then you got, and you have to give him that lighter. <laughs> you you got to give him the yeah. lighter. Yes, you have to. <laughs> I mean, if they they made the R.J. Uh, McCready figure from the thing, and they included a little glass of scotch and the scotch bottle, so it's possible. Oh, you can make a little lighter accessory. Yeah, <laughs> they did. It happened. I saw it. It looks fucking cool as metal as hell. But still, they did it. So you can make a little yellow lighter for Loomis, and then give him a cane because he had a cane in Part Four and Five. I mean, it's. it's the possibilities are endless, and any CAE people, if you're out there and you're listening, please make one. Well, I'll buy it. I don't care if it's full price. I will buy it, and I will gladly display it, you know, in the Winchester. And you can come by and look at it all you want, because it'll be on display right next to all my other little lovelies that uh, are on my shelf. <laughs> Tours of the Winchester Museum are on weekends, <laughs> Saturdays from 12 to 8, and Sundays from 12 to 3. <laughs> Pre-order tickets are available now on the Talking Care page. <laughs> That's correct. All profits help go towards the show, making it more professional every time you broadcast. So, yeah, got to pay the bill somehow. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that, that's my plea to NECA. We'll see if they listen. Probably not. But, you know, they, you know, they, they have their own thing going, and I appreciate them for what they are. Um, okay, so what I want to talk about, first of all, starting the talk tonight, the second trailer for Candyman, Nia DaCosta's Candyman, which comes out on August 27th, was dropped today. I posted it in the group chat. I posted it on the Facebook uh, page. I wanted to talk about it tonight because, as you know, Monkey, I'm a huge Candyman fan, and I've been just fucking so excited to see this movie in August in its full entirety. I've been waiting so long. But I wanted to get your thoughts first on the second trailer before I give mine. Dude, this trailer is better. <laughs> I mean, it is so fucking metal. It's, it's, this trailer's tight, man. It really is. Um, I, I, I'm liking what they're doing here. Um, they're giving us hints at the storytelling. They're giving us hints at the world building. And I'm liking the idea of the twist they put in the trailer there of Candyman. That, that was really cool when I saw that. <laughs> a little, little twist and change. To it, and yeah, so I'm looking forward to it, man, because it's looking like they're going to keep the gore, they're going to, you know, keep keep the jump scares, you know, they're they're going to come at you hard in this movie. Oh yeah, they they are definitely uh, coming with uh, the gore, with the violence, with with the story. Um, but I noticed uh, after I watched the trailer, a lot of the comments were saying this is just another reboot. This isn't a spiritual sequel to the original, like we've been told by Jordan Peele and Nia DaCosta. And honestly, I have to disagree um, because watching this, yes, you're not getting the traditional Candyman story from the first film. You're not getting the story of a man that fell in love with a white woman back in the colonial days, was son of a slave, and then ended up being killed because of it, and now he haunts Cabrini Green. Why? This is my thought, and we'll see what happens when the movie comes out. 
But if Cabrini Green is the location, why couldn't there be multiple candy men? Like, why does it have to be one particular person that's the candy man? Because in that original film in 92, there was a gangster that lived in Cabrini Green that was going by the name Candyman, and he was selling drugs, and he was hurting people because he was the leader of a gang. Right. So in the trailer, you have a guy who obviously looks like he has some kind of disability or whatever, it's a mental illness, giving candy with wet, little needles and things like that inside of them to children. And, of course, the police come, and they are white police officers, and they immediately kill and torture this poor guy, who obviously isn't such a poor victim because he was doing harm to kids in the neighborhood. But still, it's a different twist on the story. So then you get introduced to your main character, play Yaha Abdul-Mateen II, who comes in with his artistry, and he wants to do a piece on the Candyman. And we see him get stung by a bee, and that could be potentially what turns him into this next irradiation of the Candyman. So in a way, I like that. I kind of dig the fact that they are making legends in a hive, if you will, of candy men, not just of <laughs> candy man. Because if you watch the little puppets in the trailer, one of the puppets stands up and it's got a, a rib cage, and then four more pop up behind him, just black figures. So it's like this one candy man is leading his army. So I really do kind of like that idea, you know. As much as I love the original Candyman, and that has such a place in my heart as being one of my favorite films, it's a love story with a horror core. I think turning it into what they're turning it into, it not only speaks to what's happening now, but it also speaks to the purists of Cabrini Green and also the Candyman legend. Why can there be more than one? I mean, there's not one urban legend out there. There's multiple, and there's multiple stories. Right, I agree. And uh, with you, it's like, you know, we need to keep putting stories out there. Um, you know, again, horror and the horror genre is a really, in my opinion, you know, a really whitewashed genre here. You yeah. know, and we need a lot. Mm-hmm. More, we need a lot more flavor in uh, um, American horror. Um, and those stories need to be told, and they need to be put out there. Like, you know, I know one of your favorite anthology films is, you know, Tales from the Hood. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> and but also. I, what I was, what I got from the trailer is also it may not be so much a hive, it may not be Candy Men, it could just be the area of Cabrini Green that's haunted. You know, just the area itself is haunted, and that that's what's getting people and taking them and twisting them and turning them possibly into re- reiterations of the Candy Man because that's what happens when Cabrini Green gets a hold of you. You know, so that's that's another possible spin. Yeah, there there there's multiple ways to spin it, and that's what I love about it. I I love the fact that it is an urban story. You know, keeping it very much in line with the original, setting it in the Cabrini Green area, which is now gentrified. Um, you know, and and having a lead in Yaha Abdul Medin the second, who I I love uh, just as much as I love uh, Keith Stanfield, who I originally wanted to play this character, but you know Abdul is just as good. I mean, are we going to see Tony Todd? I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, at this point, I kind of want to say we're not, but anything is possible. You know, there could definitely be a cameo by him in some way, shape, or form. But I, I think this is going to be its own kind of entity. I think it's going to be its own kind of beast. Um, I mean, they did say that uh, the character of Helen is going to appear in the movie in some way, shape, or form, just not played by Virginia Madsen. So we will oh, see okay. how that plays out. Because as we know, well, in that 92 um, film, she oh. did perish. 
So go ahead, Monkey. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, it's cool. I, I was just going to say, um, yeah, but you know Tony Todd's voice way better than I do. Was that possibly his used in the trailer of, you know, the Possessed and Candyman, possibly? Uh, as far as I know, I've, I've watched the, the second trailer a few times, and I've watched the first one a few times, and that really is just the modified uh, tone of Yaha Abdul-Mateen II, you know, his character. Oh, okay. Um, it's just a, a modified form of his voice when he says, be my victim. You know I mean? That's not Tony Todd. I wish it was. Okay. But it's not. You know, and even people were speculating that the reflection in the back of the SUV in the first trailer was actually Tony Todd. It, it could be. I mean, I'm not saying it's not, but I just – Watching the second trailer, I was like, this really isn't Tony's movie anymore. Like, this is something brand new. We, we are getting a fresh mythology of Candyman. Yeah. We're not getting the old story. You know, it would have been different if they were like, oh, yeah, back in 92, this young woman perished. And, uh, yeah, we thought it was the Candyman, you know. But, no, they're, they're going a different way. Helen Lyle is still going to show up in the film. I'm interested to see how they play that off, especially because we're getting a new mythology on the Candyman. You know, where does she fit in? That's why I kind of think that they are going to go with multiple urban legends, like you said, revolving around Cabrini Green. That it's not just one particular entity. It's, it's multiple. And that this main character that we're going to see is the next in line to be the next Candyman, which I'm fascinated to see. I mean, they're not cutting back on the gore. They're not cutting back on, on the story, which I can't be any happier with. Yeah, and and like you said earlier, you know about Cabrini Green and going through the gentrification process. It's again, it's as you're seeing that happening in more and more urban areas. You know, the old stuff is getting torn away. It's getting forgotten. You know, and mm-hmm. you know their stories behind. You know, all the buildings that were there and the land that was there, and you know the the blood that's soaked into the ground now. You know, literally of yeah. the mm-hmm. these urban areas, and it's like. You know, again, if you want to sit there and talk spiritually, it's like, you know, I doubt that shit was cleansed, you know. So very <laughs> no. easily, you know, this, yeah. this kind of stuff could easily, easily come back to scare all the white people that are moving in. <laughs> it could be, you know, I mean, and that's, you know, why they're doing it. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, it was very cool to see the CGI aspect of Cabrini Green in the trailer. Like, they did show you a flashback. And they showed, like, the old cars and people standing outside and, and, you know, their trench coats and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, man, they really did a great job on, on doing the whole um, CGI aspect of it, making Cabrini Green come back to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know if you saw but it. Again, I did. Yeah. I just I watched it. Like, <laughs> yeah, just excited, man. It's like, you know, we've been waiting for this for a long fucking time. It's, you know, kept getting pushed back and pushed back. And hopefully they're just going to stay firm with this release date. Yeah, and I, I hope so, too. I mean, but then again, like we had, we had talked about previously on the show, you know, the, the theaters are opening back up again. You know, things are opening up. I know PA, where we live, the monkey and I, it's opening up as of the 28th. So we don't have to wear the masks anymore. You know, we don't have to do the whole social distancing. I'm still probably going to do it, you know, wait for a little while, you know, until I feel safe again. But, I mean, that's just me. But, um, but also, just to close it out, um, when, monkey, you were talking about Cabrini Green, I mean, it, Technically, there was a murder that was very much used in Candyman, the original 1992 uh, film, and that was based on Ruthie Mae McCoy, who died in her home because somebody burst through her mirror in the bathroom and killed her and stole her stuff, you know, and, yeah, left her for dead. So they actually had to burst into her her apartment 
to discover her dead. So, yeah, her murderer crawled through the bathroom cabinet and killed her. So that was the basis for the story in Candyman about uh, Ruthie Jean, who was killed. They said it was the Candyman. Wow. You know, that was so, yeah. If you want to go on, like, a not a really a deep dive, but if you really want to look into it, yeah, her name was Ruthie Mae McCoy, and back in the 80s, she lived in Cabrini Green. You know, she had a little bit of a mental illness. You know, she was very quiet, kept to herself, and uh, lived in the public housing of Cabrini Green. And, yeah, her, she was discovered murdered in her apartment because somebody apparently crawled through the bathroom cabinet, killed her, then stole a bunch of her stuff. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so that's why when you watch that movie, that's why they do have that storyline of, like, look at that. You could pop out the mirror and, you know, there's the apartment on the other side because that's how public housing works. You know, and it's scary to think about, but yeah, no, it happened. But um, moving away from Candyman, since I wanted to keep going with, with uh, you know, African-American horror, uh, a title that is being rebooted is Blackula. Uh, it was announced last week that Blackula is coming back to life with a new reboot from MGM, Braun, and Hidden Empire. Dion Taylor is directing as well as co-writing the script with Mika Raynham. And this is going to be a continuation from Scream, Blackula, Scream in 1973, and it's going to be taking place in a post-coronavirus world. So, like we were talking about with Candyman, I am excited for Blackula because that's another one of those great black exploitation films of the 70s was William Marshall as Blackula, you know, Count Mamualde. He does an amazing job. It's like, you don't belong in this movie. This movie is so campy. And then you come in here with your regal voice and your performance of this vampire, and it's amazing. So, would I love to see another Blackula? Yes. I think there's a lot to say, especially with this current climate that we live in, that could fit really well. But it's not like this hasn't been done before. I mean, I don't know if you remember Vampire in Brooklyn with Eddie Murphy, but that's pretty much the first Black Willow reboot. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that bad of a movie. I like Vampire I know in you like it, man. <laughs> I have a soft spot for it. I do. I, and it's not just because it's what's craving. I, just, I, I like seeing Eddie Murphy do something a little different. You know, yes, it's got the comedic elements that you would expect from Eddie Murphy, but, you know, Angela Bassett is just so beautiful and so great in it. And, you know, you have Kadeem Harrison from A Different World, and it's just, it's a great little thing. But uh, what do you think about Blackula coming back? Do you think it's the right thing to do or kind of just leave it in the 70s? I mean, you know me. I, I love 70s camp just as much as you do, man. You know, I, I'm all about my motorcycle mm-hmm. movies. I'm, a, I'm all about my, you know, trashy car movies. You know, and this is right in there, man. They're just, you know, B-grade movies that are done. And like you <clears throat> said, you know, William Marshall's screen presence alone was just impressive. And just the way he just carried himself on screen. And again, you said that crisp, clear, booming, deep voice of his, you know, just so eloquent. Um, but also, it's one of those things, man, it's like, well, I would love to see this happen just because you and I both love this, and, you know, we actually do love the movies. We don't love them because they're bad. We actually enjoy them. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, so when we say we love these movies, it's not like, you know, because they're so bad, you know, it's not, you know, but this is like really, really careful ground, you know, that you got to tread on here. It's like, how do you nail this? Well, while, you know, do you stick with the camp or do you take this and go serious with it? You know, because if you go with the camp, how many people are going to take this the wrong way? You know? Yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah, because it's definitely a fine line you have to walk because, 
that that seventy three you know sequel to Scream Black was Scream very much planted in black exploitation. That doesn't fly nowadays. That's a completely different world back then that we're dealing with now. I mean, you can't be like, damn, black enough, why you gotta be so jab? Like, you can't do that in 2021. <laughs> you just, you're not gonna get away with it. People are gonna be like, what is this shit? But I think there's a way yeah, to, uh, to keep the camp and keep it serious. Yeah. Yeah, again, it's just, you know, fine, fine balance. It's like, you know, it's, you know, are we talking like where we go and we go all the way with the camp, like, you know, like Soul Plane? You know, is that what we're talking? You know, if we're going to go somewhere like that. <laughs> oh, Soul Plane. Uh, I yeah, love that movie. Theater. That, I do, too. Oh, man. <laughs> it, it's one of those rare ones where it just works. I, it shouldn't, but it does, and it just brings you right back to the 70s. Then that's what they should do, you know, if they're going to do that. I mean, there was a movie that um, Bruce Derrickson did, uh, or Ernest Derrickson did, back in 2001, 2002, um, Bones, which starred uh, Snoop Dogg, which is a horror film where he plays a, a dead gangster that comes back to life in the building where he wants oh, to live. Oh, that's right. Kind of wreak uh, revenge. That movie is like fucking chef's kiss if you're looking for black exploitation done right in the early 2000s. That movie had fucking everything right with it. I saw that in the theater. I bought it on DVD. I was telling everybody I knew, like, if you like black exploitation and you want to see Snoop Dogg really actually be good in the movie, then watch Bones. Pam Greer's in it. Of course, the queen of black exploitation. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I can't oh, tell always, you always got Bones. it. <laughs> oh, so good. From coffee to white, black mama, white mama, black mama, you know, to Sugar Hill, to Foxy Brown, you know, just... The list goes on, but no, that it was the the right kind of movie for that time, and I think if they take a cue from that and they just they play it as a direct horror film, but they kind of also plant the tongue in cheek. I think it could be really well done, but I mean we'll see. I mean I I don't know. It's so early in the project to really uh, kind of you know take a glimpse of what it could be. I mean, but then again, you have these people out there that kind of want to make fun of it and go, "What's next? You're going to do you know Doctor Black and Mister Hyde." Are you going to do Blackenstein? Like, you know, those movies are good. I can't argue with them. I like those movies. But then again, it's just it's a, a different time. I guess we'll see how Blackula does, and maybe we could have a, a renaissance of these, these black exploitation films. And I think people should be watching them. I do. I mean, I recommend these movies to people all the time you know, if they want to see something different. But just you got to remember that it's the 70s. It's, you know, they, yeah. you know, take it with a grain of salt, you know. Well, they, they were doing uh, also thing, like having fun with it. Yeah, you're right. You know, is take it with a grain of salt, but also you're also looking at film history. You know, and it's again shit that should not be forgotten at the time. No, I agree. Um, so moving away from you know Candyman, Blackula, want to talk about the world of fashion because that's metal. But really, I just I, I do this because I, I find these things cool, and also uh, a fan of our show. Marie Antoine Threat, who is one of the members of the Dutchland Rollers. So good job, ladies. Love you guys. Um, she brought up this uh, thing to my attention of Vixen by Michelin Pitt. It's an LA-based design house. They've made previous fashion lines before for Pet Cemetery and other horror films, but now they're tackling Ghostbusters. So the collection includes dresses, <laughs> skirts, shirts, and bags, featuring and inspired by the Ghostbusters Rogue Gallery of Sexual Baddies, including the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, Slimer, 
Gozer, Paradogs, and more, along with the ever-iconic No Ghosts Ghostbusters logo. So if you are a female out there and you listen to our show, thank you all two of you. You might want to check out this line by Michelle and Pitt because it is very kind of cool. It's very vintage retro style with dresses and handbags with Slimer's face on it. Stiff of Marshmallow Man handbag, so it's kind of cool. I mean, they even have stuff for guys, but I'm sorry. I, I, I'm way too fat for that line. So it's cool to look at the shirt, but they, they, they only make them an extra small. <laughs> if you weigh 50 oh, pounds, shit. then you're lucky. Yeah. No, I don't even think they would fit you. Mm-hmm. I think even you would have to lose oh, weight, and you're skinny as fuck. So <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. I think you would even need to lose a little bit of weight to fit in them. But no, so. If that interests you, you know, I know, like I said, you know, I, I joke that we have like three or four female fans, but, you know, if you're out there and you like that stuff, then Michelle and Pitt, uh, Ghostbusters line is for you. I did put a link up on the uh, Talking Terror Facebook page so you can check it out, see what they're offering, see the prices. Again, my wallet is not that big to afford any of that, so I'm kind of glad I can't fit on any of that. <laughs> you know, it's too rich for my blood, so, but, you know, it might be up your alley. Um, for those of you who have grown out Hot Topic but still want to sit there and be cool and dress with some cool shit, this is where you go. Yeah, but it's kind of like the, you know, I, I'm too hip for Hot Topic, and I don't want to be seen there, but I still want to be kind of cool and hip, you know, and, and that type of stuff. Then you can go for it, and then you can just go to Michelin exactly. and, and look really hot couture and awesome. I mean, she had a, a pet cemetery line that I was actually kind of impressed with. I mean, I'm, just the fact that people are, are making fashion lines out of pet cemetery or even Ghostbusters, like, is is pretty amazing, and I, I love it. The fact that these these things are considered trendy now, <laughs> you know, to be that horror fan, it's like, yeah, fuck you guys. I was reading that book and watching that movie back when I was younger, and all you guys called me fucking nerds. Now you're wearing the t-shirts and wearing the purses. Uh huh. Now I'm looking at you. <laughs> Oh, you think you're so trendy now, huh? <laughs> you were making fun of me wearing my Pet Cemetery t shirt. But I dig it. So, yeah, check out Michelin Pit. Um, so, what's next? Okay, so just three years ago, Steven Spielberg, who we all know is a pretty vocal and iconic director, he was making some noise by saying that films released on Netflix and solely on Netflix should not be considered for the Oscars, simply due to the fact that they were not primarily released in theaters. Time has changed in the past few years since you said that because now Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment has signed an exclusive deal with Netflix for multiple films and series. So he's kind of walked back that talk and decided to join up with Netflix to, to, and I shouldn't say exclusive because it's not really exclusive in that sense where he actually does work with Universal as well. But now he's inked this deal with Netflix to produce and, and make multiple films and series for the, the streaming service, something that he scoffed at a couple of years ago. So they must have backed up that money truck at his door and said, come on, Steven, make the deal, buddy. <laughs> George Lucas was there going, come on, sign the contract, sign the contract. Look at all that money, Steven. Oh, my God, I'm getting so hard just looking at it, Steven. Sign the contract. <laughs> well, okay, I guess I can. <laughs> but it just it, it just it cracked me up because just a couple of years ago he was like Netflix movies no way they, they should get Oscars doesn't matter how good they are they weren't in the theater you know I was like okay well, now you know money talks <laughs> <laughs> then 
then, then of course they asked him about back it up uh, with. Yeah. Oh, then he's going to be like, how come my stuff on Netflix isn't getting nominated for Oscars? You, you, you see the quality of the stuff that I'm putting out. <laughs> well, I'm, we're sorry, Stephen, but, you know, we did say that uh, we can't be eligible for Oscars. So we kind of took ourselves out of contention. But, no, it's aside from that, he also was asked during this uh, contract uh, about remaking Jaws. So he said absolutely not. That's the one project I'm never going to want to touch. So if you ever think you're going to get a Jaws reboot, uh, no. Well, you know what, Stephen? A couple of years ago, you were saying how Netflix movies shouldn't be nominated for Oscars. And now you're, you're making money with Netflix to make movies for them. So I don't know. <laughs> we might be seeing a uh, straight-to-Netflix uh, movie, Jaws. <laughs> Who knows? I'm just hoping he really sticks with that because, again, you know, we've talked about it on the show several times, and it's just one of those yeah. classics. Mm-hmm. Just, just don't fucking touch it, okay? It's, you know, it, yeah. it's, yeah, you know, it's like touching Alfred Hitchcock films. You know, leave them alone. Leave the, leave the classics alone, you know, and write your own stuff. You know, we say it all the time. Bring new material to us. We've seen the original movies. Why don't you bring us something new? You know, if you've got something that you've written, you know, and it's loosely, you know, could be loosely tied to something, don't do it. Don't don't put stamp that name on it. Just get butts in the seats. You know, be be proud and confident of your project, and do not be afraid to bring it to us so we can see your new work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, money talks. I mean, if they're going to give Zack Snyder ninety million dollars to make that fucking shitty Army of the Dead. You know they're probably going to offer him something to do. Come on, man. Come on. Come on. Just for McJaws. Come on. Man. And he's going to be like, no, oh, no, God. no. No, I can't. I can't. Steven. Steven. $100 million. Well, I guess you're making Jaws, <laughs> boy. Woo! Uh, yeah, it's just, again, I just hope they just steer clear of it, man. Just steer clear. <laughs> <laughs> and and for more than likely they will I mean you know that might be the one thing that I mean he's stood by that you know for a very long time that's the one that he's not going to remake so you know that might be his just final stand so we'll see what happens um, in other news this one is written in regards to Hellraiser because we know Hellraiser is getting a series on Hulu it's also getting a reboot from Spyglass so this is the, the Spyglass version I'm going to be talking about so Odessa A. Zion, who starred in last year's Let's Scare Julie, has been cast in the remake of Hellraiser. And it's also being reported that in this particular remake of the film, there's going to be a gender swap, and we're going to be getting a female pinhead. And honestly, I'm for it, dude. Yes, I do love Doug Bradley as pinhead. He's amazing as the hell priest. I love all the Cenobites. But why not do a, a gender swap with pinhead? Why does it have to be a male do something different. There's a, there's a great cosplayer out there, and I forget her name, that does like a big-chested, you know, uh, pinhead, you know, complete pins and the, the box and everything. Like, why not do that? You know, make a change. You know, give me something different. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's, I, I'm with you here where it's like you can definitely do this. Because also, we're, you know, it doesn't need to be tied. Cause you're talking about the whole realm of hell here, you know, where you can have – you know, multiple centibytes all over the place. We've seen multiple centibytes. We've seen female centibytes. You know, and we've seen that it works. And just to be able to have, you just gotta have someone that can command it, though. You know, that's the thing. They've gotta be, 
able to command that screen and just com- command the attention of being the biggest fucking badass on the screen. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I watched um, <clears throat> Hellraiser Revelations, which came out a couple years ago. That was the first one without uh, Doug Bradley's pinhead. And it was basically a loose remake of the first one. It was not very good, mainly because the actor that played Pinhead in that movie was a little bit husky. So yeah, it was a he was weird. You know, <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit weird seeing a big boy, you know, play Pinhead. Um, but <laughs> it wasn't a terrible movie, but it wasn't good either. Like it was one of those movies where it's like, listen, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it either. But then they a couple years later they released Hellraiser Judgment, uh, which. I liked that movie because I thought that the guy that played uh, Pinhead in that film, and I can't remember his name off the top of my head, uh, but I thought he was great. I thought he did a, a good kind of own take on Pinhead while also keeping the Bradley's in mind. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I would, I would love to see a female takeover as the character and, and give me something fresh, give me something new, you know, not just retreading the old water. But then again, there's a lot of Pinhead that's going to be coming out soon with the series, with the movie, so... <laughs> Might be oversaturated with Pinhead at this point. So we'll see when we get to that point when all these projects featuring Pinhead and the Cenobites come out. But I'm excited to see what they do with the uh, the female version of it. Um, yeah, and, and again, just, you know, to close it out, it's just mad props to Clive Barker for finally, you know, winning his lawsuit like we talked about on this show earlier and being able to finally cash in on that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and finally be able to, to kind of get it back which is important, you know, to get those rights back to that project that he created, and now he can do whatever he wants with it and, and feel free. And, you know, to sound like, you know, a, a Brooklyn, you know, woman sitting in her bedroom, you know, shouting at the window, why don't you call me my coke? And, you know, I was like, uh, Clyde? Is that you? <laughs> why don't, uh, you, don't you call me? <laughs> why don't you call me anymore? I mean, come on. <laughs> come on. Come on, Stephen. Why don't you call me anymore? I thought we had something. Oh, it's Clyde. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Listening, to, like watching his old interviews back in like the you know the eighties, where he's like, "Yes, I think I made a good project, and uh, you know we'll see what happens." And uh, you know, uh, I'm going with the S and M aspect, and all of a sudden in the late two thousands, like, yeah, yeah, I had fun with that project. Yep. I was like, oh no, he's he's gone so far, like you know. But I, I will always be a fan of, of Clive, <laughs> you know, no matter what happens. But uh, so we'll see what happens with those projects. Um, I know, Mikey, you love J.J. Abrams. You're one of his biggest fans. I mean, you know, you always talk about how much you love J.J. Abrams and how he's a master uh, creator. And, yeah, I know. I, I know. I just You're such a huge fan of J.J. Abrams. I'm like, okay, Mikey, we get it. You like J.J. Abrams. Like, you know, he's, he's your favorite. But uh, what he's doing now is executive producing a four-part series for Showtime that will release this summer titled UFO. The series will look at what clandestine influence the American government lucrative private companies and the military may have in shielding the truth behind extraterrestrial phenomena to further their own agendas. And this coincides, oddly enough, with how later this month, Congress is going to be getting classified documents from a task force that was put together as of 2007 to investigate what they are now calling unidentified aerial phenomena. And as you know, Uh. I'm a fucking goddamn sucker for aliens. And to hear that there are these documents that were classified at one point about aliens that were reviewed by a task force. It's now being delivered to Congress for not just like a, <laughs> whatever, guys. Yeah, we'll flip through it. No, they're actually seriously looking through 
these reports and all these dossiers about all this identified aerial phenomena, which they are now calling UFOs, and taking it seriously to find out what's happening. Because I don't know if you remember the Nimitz video from the USS Nimitz, where they saw the tic-tac-shaped flying object that was being tracked oh, yeah. by Navy pilots that was released. And those pilots, they couldn't talk about it at the time because that video was classified. But then it got released to the public so we could watch it, and now they could talk about it. So they're talking about this object that was one minute in front of them at 88,000 feet and then flips off, and then all of a sudden it's, it's miles and miles and miles away but seen by somebody else. So these pilots are like, I don't know what the fuck I just saw. I just saw something I can't explain. You know, it, it, it was an object. It wasn't like a plane that I've seen before. It wasn't a rocket. It wasn't anything. So now Congress is looking into it. But I guarantee you we're not going to find out anything new. The government is not going to be like, okay, guys, here's the thing. Yeah, we knew about aliens. You got us. Sorry, our bad. Anyway, so here's the thing. Yeah, aliens are real, and we've been seeing them for years. They're not going to do that. They're going to say, you know what? I don't know. Can't explain it. It's unidentified aerial phenomena. What do you want from us? Maybe it's from China. Maybe it's from Russia. You know, I, I want that fucking truth. I want my Mulder moment. I want it to be real. I want it to, <laughs> the truth to come out. You know, and I'm just so obsessed with this. Like, you know, I was like, you know, I, I eat up anything that has to do with aliens and with Eisenhower and his connections to the aliens back when he was president. And now that this report's coming to come out, I was like, come on, give me something. I'm so hard for it. But you're not going to find out anything. This is going to be like, whatever, guys. Like, you know. But there's hope. I want to believe. I want to have my Mulder moment. <laughs> I know you do, man. Especially because but, we, in a, we live yeah. we live in a specific area of Pennsylvania where it's cluttered with supernatural activity. It's cluttered with yes. UFO activity. You know, there's you know uh, zoological shit all over this area, especially specifically where I live. You know, um, you know, we have mm-hmm. ley lines just coming right through the area where I'm living. <laughs> Um, Lucky yeah, dude. so this, <laughs> you know, so, you know, we even have our own version of Sasquatch up here, man. Um, mm-hmm. but, <laughs> but yeah, again, it's like all that stuff and we just got to wait and see. I'm sorry, King. You got to see what's going to come out, man. <laughs> or but, it's good. They're totally going to fuck you up. And after they, after they read it, they're going to be like, yeah, we can't put mm-hmm. this, we can't give you this to the public. <laughs> They're gonna. If anything, they're gonna release redacted documents. They're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna release anything publicly that they don't want us to find out about. So if they do release any of these documents that were created by this task force back in 2007 under uh, Harry Reid, it's gonna be redacted. It's gonna be all blacked out. It's gonna just be a couple words that you're gonna be able to make out. They're not gonna release fully declassified documents because they don't want us to know that we know that there's fucking aliens out there. We're not the only ones out there. You know, what's the government got to hide with it? I don't know. You know, they had, they're, they're invested in some way, shape, or form. I don't know about it. It goes all the way to the top. Looking at you, Biden. What do you know? Come on, man. You're supposed to be the happy president. You're supposed to be the one that tells us everything. Tell me a story, Grandpa <laughs> Joe. Like, you know, just tell me something. <laughs> it's just, no, he's just going to be like, hey, man, here's the deal. Let's go get ice cream. I'll tell you all about UFOs. I'm like, yay. And he's like, all right, Andy, here's the deal. We don't know anything. How's that ice cream treating you? <laughs> God damn it, Joe. <laughs> I know I didn't vote for you, but can't you just lie to me and tell me something funny? Like, you know, like, oh, yeah, no, aliens are real. You're totally right. Gotcha. And then just we go out for, like, a you know double scoop of Baskin Robbins. 
My treat. I'll buy. Like, he doesn't have to buy. <laughs> no, we're not getting it. But I just think that they're like, and from your perspective, too, Monkey, because I know that, you know, you love, you know, pilots and, and jets and things like that. But, like, what these, these pilots have nothing to gain by telling what they've seen. You know, it's not like they're going to get fame and book deals and movie deals and TV spots. I mean, they, they are being honest about what they saw. They're not making it up. They're not saying it's a weather balloon. They're saying it's swamp gas. They're saying it's, yeah, it's, it's a UFO, you know. Yeah, and you know me, man. I, I, I like you know. I have my one story that I tell people, and every time I tell it to them, they're like, "Yeah, you got fucked up by aliens, man." Uh, you know, I've told <laughs> you the story, um, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and it's just you know, I'm not getting into it on the show. We don't have that kind of time, but you know, no. so it's definitely out there. And plus, you know, me personally, it's just the idea of you know to to think we are alone in the universe is pretty fucking conceited. You know, and to think we're the top of evolution and we're the best there is and the best there ever was, you know, no, uh, there's got to be something better than us. We're, we're a fucking virus on this planet. Uh, um, there's got to be better mm-hmm. out there in the universe than us. And I, I'm, I'm sure that there is. And, you know, again, like I had mentioned it briefly before, if you want to go on a deep dive, and this is a rabbit hole deep dive, so I warn you guys, if you are out there and you like UFOs, and you're interested in what the government may or may not know, all you have to do is do a quick Google search about Eisenhower and the pact he made with aliens when he was president. Go on that rabbit hole, and good luck, because that was like a three-day bender I went on, reading as many reports as I could about Eisenhower and UFOs and intelligence and everything like that. It is insane. It's going to drive you up a wall, but believe me, you will just be kind of like, okay, yeah, we're not alone. <laughs> there's just there's too many witnesses and there's too many reports and there's too many documents that that can't be explained. So there, there's got to be some truth behind it, and maybe one day we'll find out about it. But you know that's for another day. I want to continue on with what we have, you know, before we get into the movie. So uh, as you know, Monkey, I'm a huge fan of slashers, especially those from the 1980s. And one of those slashers that I personally think is kind of underrated is from 1987, um, and it stars uh, Zelda Rubenstein. It was directed by Vigas Lunas, and it's called um, Anguish. So the story is that Zilba Rubenstein plays this old woman. She has a son, played by Michael Lerner, who is an optometrist, and he wants to impress his mother so badly that he goes out and kills for her, and he steals his victim's eyes and puts them in glass jars. So that's just what? The, the, one of the premises of this movie. It's a movie within a movie because we find out that this is what's going on. is actually a movie being played in a theater, and that there's a man played by Angel Jove, who is a serial killer, that wants to be just like Michael Lerner, the killer in the movie, and he starts taking out people's eyes in a movie theater. It is really fucking meta, you know, of a horror film that uh, underrated. And yeah, it's called Anguish from 1987. I don't know if any of you guys out there have heard about it, but apparently it's getting a remake uh, by F. Javier Gutierrez. So there's no date as far as when it's going to be released. It's just, it's been picked for a director. I know that Sam Raimi back in 2008, 2009 was actually going to produce a remake of Anguish and then nothing ever came of it. But if you guys could find a copy online or physical media of Anguish and you like slasher films from the eighties, this one doesn't disappoint. It's gory. It's weird. It's got Zelda Rubenstein and something other than Poltergeist. 
Well, what they're done in Chicago. And, <laughs> and 16 Candles. <laughs> oh, that's right. She wasn't 16 Candles. I'm forgetting that. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just always go to you know, Poltergeist as many others do. Um, and just uh, the last thing I want to talk about really before we get into the movie, because it's a little bit of time. Uh, Corey Feldman, as we all know, loves to talk, loves to be interviewed. Well, he was interviewed recently, um, and they asked him about the long story talked about Goonies 2. You know, it seems like every couple of years we get that little, ooh, Goonies uh, 2 might be happening, could be happening. Like, you know, we get that little tinge of a little fucking twist on our tapes that that movie's going to come out. But as far <laughs> as Feldman concerned, it's just never going to happen. And they asked him why he feels that way, and he had to say that Richard Donner, who directed the original, he wants his final film to be Lethal Weapon 5. So he is currently in the process of making Lethal Weapon 5, and he wants that to be his final film. He has no interest in doing any other movies. So as far as Feldman's concerned, there's never going to be a Goonies 2. And to that, I say bullshit. I do. If you want Goonies 2 to happen, it can happen without Donner. You don't need to have Donner to make it happen. Just get the core group back together because they're all still alive. It all can still happen. Get somebody to direct it that's a fan of the fucking movie. Get somebody to write it that's a fan of the original movie. And you have Goonies, too. Like, he, he just, you don't need Richard Donner. Like, yeah, great. He brought the first one to everybody in, in the masses. It's an amazing movie, one of my favorite childhood movies. You don't need him back. And that's why I wanted to get your thoughts on it, Monkey. Yeah, same with you, man. You don't need the same fucking director. Fuck that shit, man. No, what you need is, like you said, get people together, um, get the crew together, and sit there and write the right movie, and then throw a ton of cash at it. And that's how you get the movie made, is throw a ton of cash at it. Because that's how you're going to get everyone back. You know, you're not going to get Thanos back without some money. (laughs) No, no. Yeah, he's got Thanos money now. So you know, he wants to play that same part again in Goonies too. Yeah, Give, yeah. Come on. He's like, you know, I did the big yeah. snap. All right, I erased half of humanity. Yeah. You want to come back for Goonies too? And when he doesn't have that, he he's got cable money. You know, Broden's like, yeah, I'd love to show for Goonies too, but I'm kind of filming Deadpool four right now. I'm kind of not available. Yeah, geez, thanks for thinking of me, guys, but man. I just, I'm so busy counting my money from all these movies I keep doing. I, I don't know if I'm going to have time <laughs> to even do a cameo. Yeah. In. But no, it, this is what I keep saying. If they, if they can give Zack Snyder $90 million to make Army of the Dead, you're telling me that there's nobody out there that could get money together to make a Goonies 2, which I guarantee you would make money? Like, that, it would be Hell a cash yeah. cow. I mean, uh, I mean, with all these properties that are coming back from the 80s when we were younger, you know, that are, are making, you know, noise. Come on, Goonies is just a logical sense. So, you know, if you get somebody with a passion for it, and if you get somebody that wants to direct it, it I can't see it going wrong. You're not going to get Jack Rowland back. I'm sorry. Just kill him off. You know, have, have him, you know, <laughs> ride off into the sunset or something like that. Now, I don't know. Have Sloth kill him in a violent sexual rage. I don't know. Do something that, you know. So baby baby Ruth. Yeah, you know, he, he mistakes Jack Rowland's character for a baby Ruth. And this fuck Brandon to death. I don't know. Do something. <laughs> yeah. So get someone out of there. And, but, and Brandon keeps snapping his fingers trying to make him go away. <laughs> yeah. Why doesn't it work? Yeah. It's worse than the last movie. It's not working in this one. Yeah, and just have him do that. 
and and it'll all work <laughs> out. But no, it's, unfortunately, no. Yeah. <laughs> and then Ryan Reynolds pops in and goes, "Nope, wrong movie, kids." <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Did you just see Fluff fuck Brandon to death? Oh my God! What kind of Goonies two is this? This is just the opening. <laughs> <laughs> is cable around so he can change the dimension? No? Oh, shit, kids. Well, enjoy the rest of your movie. Where's the author? But, yeah, I'm with you, man. It's like, but I think if they were going to do it, like, they, or if they're going to do it, they need to hurry up, get on it, because, like you said, right now is going to be the time to jump on it because you have all these 80s properties coming back. You know, you've got Top Gun, you've got Ghostbusters, you know, they, they keep coming back. We, you know, we've got Cobra Kai. You know, we, we have yeah. lots of 80s stuff going on. So if you want to jump on the 80s bandwagon, now is the time. Yep. Or do a limited series on Netflix, you know, like Cobra Kai. You know, do it like a four-part series or something. You know, something clever like that. I mean, I don't know. You know, any, I think anything's possible after Cobra Kai proved that it can be done. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with Goonies. You know, I don't, you know, I would love to see something happen, but if it doesn't, it doesn't. We always have the original. Uh, so that's really all I have for horror news tonight. So we could uh, gather the band together, you know, and get ready to talk about Black Roses from 1988, directed by John Fasano. So as always, I'll give you the, the plot of the movie, give you my thoughts, and then I'll kick it to my bandmate, the monkey, to give his thoughts. So the hair, metal, the hair metal band Black Rose is kicking off their first ever live tour with a three-night residency in the small upstate town of Mill Basin, located in New York. The parents of the town are concerned as the band represents sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and even Satan himself. Upon arriving, the band puts on a show that makes the parents think that Black Roses are nothing more than a family-friendly rock act. However, once the parents' backs are turned, the lights go out, the devil's music goes up, and soon the teens are lured into the demonic magic of the band, and the parents of Mill Basin learn what satanic panic really is. So I saw Black Roses back when I was in middle school. It was another one of those movies that I just happened to come across when I was looking for movies to rent. And this is during a time where I kind of had my renaissance with hair metal and heavy metal horror. Um, this would include movies like Hard Rock Zombies, Rock and Roll Nightmare, Zombie Nightmare, Trick or Treat, Rocktober Blood, Shock of Dead, um, Hard Rock Nightmare, which is awesome because it was directed by Dominic Braccia, who played Joey in Friday the 13th Part 5. There's also a really killer one called My Sweet Satan, Dream Maniac. The list goes on. There are so many of these heavy metal, hair metal band horror movies from the late 80s into the early 90s that are worth checking out. Um, but Black Roses always stuck with me because Black Roses – it struck me as that movie that a parent concerned about satanic panic coming to their town would watch and think it's a documentary. Like, holy shit. My kid who listens to fucking heavy metal, he's going to be in line with the devil. And he might even possibly kill me one day. This is horrifying. But at the same time, the movie is having so much fun with the satanic panic and, and freaking people out and doing it in such a tongue-in-cheek way that it's just, it's fun. It's one of those movies you could put on and just laugh at how goofy it could be at times, but kind of how clever it could be as well. So, Monkey, get metal with it. What do you think about Black Roses? Metal! Yes, uh, this is my first time seeing this movie. <clears throat> Excuse me. And 
the copy I watched was a bad copy. It looked like it was a VHS copy, so it made it even better. Um, <laughs> the, and yeah, this movie, 1987, but yeah, this, this movie was a perfect time capsule of life in 1985. This, like, this movie, the way people dressed, the, um, the way they were acting, the, the cars that were being driven around, it captured it. it. You know, it nailed it. Even though it wasn't trying to, it's like, if you want to capture, watch a movie where, you know, it's like a movie trying to, let's see here, how to word this right. If anyone was trying to make a movie of the 80s, this is the movie they should be doing. All right. It's just, it was spot on. <laughs> um, yeah. It, like, I just enjoyed it. Like back to 85, you know, cause Springsteen, Madonna, way before Nirvana, there was you two and bloody and music still on it. <laughs> um, but, but dude, I, and, like, I enjoyed the effects that were in here. They were fun. Uh, enjoyed the soundtrack. Soundtrack was fucking kick-ass as shit. Um, while I was watching this movie, um, <laughs> Diva peeked her head and leaned her head over your shoulder. And she was like, oh, Black Roses. And I was like, huh? And she was like, yeah, we've got the soundtrack on tape. And I was like, what do you mean we got the soundtrack on <laughs> tape? She goes, and she was like, Bango Tango. Hell, I mean, Bang Tango. Hell yeah. <laughs> because that's one of the Diva's favorite metal bands. Um but yeah, it's just this movie's fun, and like you said, Satanic Panic, and yeah, it's, this entire movie is just a Satanic Panic PSA. It really is, and it's just it's a rated R PSA. <laughs> um, and my, my only problem was when the movie starts, and we're gonna get to it in just a second. It set the bar so high <laughs> that the movie could unfortunately not could not reach back to those first 15 minutes of the movie. Those first 15 minutes of the movie are fucking epic, and then, you know, unfortunately, the rest of the movie is not going to go there. It's going to be fun, but it's not going to go where those first 15 minutes went, because those first first 15 minutes are fucking insane. (laughs) Yeah, because when you open up the movie, you're in New York City, 1988, you're kind of waiting for Jason Voorhees to come walking down and kick over a boombox. This is around the same time he went to Manhattan. So, but no, we're, we're at the, the Black Roses show. And, of course, as the band's playing, this is Me Against the World, playing, uh, played by one of my favorite hair metal bands, Lizzie Borden. Uh, the fucking song shreds. You know, I even listen to it now, and I'm like, this, this song fucking shreds. But it's the fact that when you hear them play the song, they're all demons. On this stage, yes! full makeup fully playing the drums and the bass and the guitar in full demonic makeup while this crowd is going fucking nuts for this band. And you see the usher outside the door going, oh, this is fucking metal, dude. Like, you look at the lightning. And it's just crazy. This leads to a court order of having this group shut down because, you know, we just we can't have this anymore. And before the man who's shutting down this group knows, we have an army of ghouls bursting out of the auditorium crushing him to death, yeah. leading to the main action of the story, which, like you said, Monkey, yeah, the opening is fucking metal. It's metal as shit because it's an MTV music video for like a good 10 minutes, where it's just nothing but that song and this band of demonic makeup rocking out, and it's not even just makeup. It's full-on pl- appliances. Like, it is, it's, yeah, it's, it's prosthetics. It's everything like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, man, it's, it's not like your makeup. It's, it's full-on prosthetics, like you said, you know, of, you know, demonic heads on top of them, you know, d- demonic demonic hands while they're playing the fucking guitars and shit like that. And, you know, it looks campy, but at the same time, it's really fucking well done. Like, I'm really enjoying all of the prosthetics that are on these, the entire band. Yeah, and it's a, it's a way to kick it off where you just don't know what the fuck is happening. Like, especially you, Monkey, who's never seen Black Roses before, so I just, I guarantee, like, when I was watching him, I guarantee he was going to be like, what the fuck? Like, it's kicking off with a demonic band, but, but now we're, we're going into the small town that's supposed to be New York, but it's clearly Canada. And you have these two Lambos <laughs> rolling up in the town. And out oh, yes. Damien. <laughs> you know, I love Damien played by Sal Viviano because you can tell he's wearing a wig. It's not really a mullet because it doesn't even attach to his head the right way. But just doing the metal horns as he's getting out, like, fucking hell, yeah. It's metal time. We're bringing the devil to this no, town. <laughs> you know? but, but, again, this is, like, the best of everything that's of the 80s. Like, that's, that's what I was trying to yeah. say. Like, the, you know, this movie is the best of the 80s because, you, you, you know, you start off with the fucking metal music. You start off with, you know, the, the fucking demonic shit on stage. And then, you know... After that, cut to two two Lambos rolling low and slow down a fucking deserted road in the you know middle of a small town USA. Two fucking Lambos. Why? Because it's fucking 1987. That's fucking why. <laughs> <laughs> because they fucking can. All right. You know, and and then they've even got the uh, you know front bumper kits going on that you ain't supposed to have because the Lam- the Lamborghini Countach noses were so aggressive that certain states. You had to have a fucking bumper because that shit was just too fucking aggressive. So that's why they got the big bumpers on that motherfucker, you know, and just rolling out. And, again, anytime I see a Lambo Countach, you know, I fucking love it just because 1987, it was the fat, fastest street legal car in the world was the Lamborghini Countach, you know. And as a little kid, I got to sit in one. And let me tell you, they are a motherfucker to get in and out of, man. Those wheel wells. I mean, the the body wells are so fucking it. wide. It's like you gotta, you literally gotta fucking climb out of it. There's a, a leather strap hanging from the ceiling that you have to use <laughs> to pull your fucking body out because you're almost laying on the fucking ground. Um, but, and they only have two fucking seats in those motherfuckers. So how the fuck did five nope. bandmates pull out of <laughs> two Lambos? <laughs> I don't fucking know. They were re- they must have been really fucking comfortable in those fucking Lambos <laughs> when five people came out. And I was like. What the fuck? <laughs> the fucking clown Lambo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they also have a pickup truck because they do show a pickup truck at the school later on when they're handing out, like, free records and, like, posters. So they do have a pickup truck. So the band might have rode in the pickup truck, and then, like, the only cool members of the band rode in those Lambos. Like, that might have just been Damien and the, 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 the guitarist and then, you know, maybe the bassist. The drummer had to drive the pickup truck. Um, but what I love about the drummer is that that's played by Carmine Apici, whose character name in the movie is never mentioned, but it's Vinny Apache because he felt like Apache and Apache rhymed. So he wanted to be called Vinny Apache. And he's the one that kind of spearheaded Black Roses for the soundtrack. So he, he did the drums for Black Roses, the band for the soundtrack for the movie. He also played with Ozzy Osbourne for a while and Rod Stewart. So he's a, he's a pretty, you know, known drummer at the time. So him being in this movie kind of adds a little bit of that metal credibility to it, you know, by having yeah. him play drums and make the band. Yeah. Yeah, on top of that, man, he was the actual drummer for King Cobra, which is, was also yeah, on the was. soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Along with Texas. You know, so, yeah. you know with, uh, again, killer soundtrack, and I'm so glad that the Diva has it because, you know, that's amazing. 
you know, I had a copy of my own when that, you know, way back on cassette. Uh, but we're introduced to the middle-aged teenagers of this town. Uh, and I say that because they are very middle-aged, uh, every single one oh, of them, dude. Um, including, including Johnny, who looks like Will Forte, but he's clearly 46 years old. Like, there's, just, there's no doubt that th- this man has a family and kids at home, but he's playing a teenager. And we'll get to him in a minute because he's, he's fucking hilarious. But um, we're also introduced to Julie and Tony. Julie, uh, her dad, who is the, the stepdad, I should say, is very kind of lecherous and, and incestuous towards her, is played by Paul Kelman. Horror fans out there may know him as TJ from 1981's My Bloody Valentine. The man is very Canadian, oh, and it very much shows when he talks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, he's supposed to be from New York, and he's like, ah, you know, uh, you know, your mom, she ain't around, you know. Uh, you know, she's at work, but, uh, you know, you're looking pretty good. You know, uh, you know I, I'm, doing, uh, I'm doing okay, but, you know, hey, where are you going? I'm like, yep, you're, you're not from New York. <laughs> <laughs> he's not even hot but yeah so yeah if, if fans if you've seen the original my buddy valentine that's where it's, uh julie's father's from but yeah we get introduced to, to johnny and all the students um and we also get introduced to if you can't afford tom Selleck, you get john martin who plays matthew morehouse in this movie <laughs> mustache and hair and all. i know right man <laughs> exact same mustache exact same hair as magnum pi you know not as well built yeah. <laughs> um no, you know, but we have him, <laughs> but we have him playing the cool teacher, the teacher that gets the kids and understands them, you know, and breaks it down, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly what he is. He's like, yeah, he's the type of teacher that would turn his chair around and put his hat around, and be like, let me rap to you, second kids, about a little man named Walt Whitman. You with me? And you're like, oh, okay, he's that type of teacher. But he's also the only teacher in the school. Because for some reason, they only have one class, and that's English. They don't go to any other classes. They don't go to math. They don't go to science, history, just – there's one teacher and one guidance counselor in this entire school. So that's how they can afford the Black Roses, because they don't have a faculty. So that's how the school board can afford to bring the Black Roses to play for three nights. It's, they just have an English teacher and a guidance counselor. I love the fact that there's no other classes. And it, and it's not even like he's an English English teacher because all he does is talk about their anthologies, you know, and just breaking down poetry. <laughs> it's like, you know, constantly the anthologies. I was like, I was like, what? It's like we're talking about like creep show, you know? <laughs> what, yeah. what do you mean breaking breaking down the anthology here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Emerson, <laughs> all that kind of thing. <laughs> we're gonna make it cool. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about Walt Whitman's uh, Leave the Grass, man, evil, you know, because we're going to be having some evil happening on later. But it's him trying to compare uh, Leaves of Grass and evil to Black Roses, and this is where Johnny, like I said, the, the weird Will Forte-looking guy who's clearly not a teenager, I just I love his response. He's like, yeah, you know, you know, because, like, uh, you know, parents don't understand, you know. And the Black Roses are pretty cool. They're pretty metal, and, you know, it's like they're not evil. They just, they just don't know. Like, him trying to be an angsty teenager is like clearly, man. Like you've not been yeah. a teenager yeah. for a very long time. <laughs> Canadians clearly don't have enough anger to pull off the fucking no. angry New York shit. Of you know, parents don't understand. They don't fucking get us. You know, we got to be our own people. But they're trying to bring us down. They still want to say the roses are evil. Yeah, well, it's just because they want to sit there and crush evil too. But they just want to crush what they think is evil. 
And it's like, is that okay? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I don't know what that's all about, you know, but no. It's, and then, you know, so we had the teenagers all excited about the Black Roses playing this three-night residency. and like, they should be so honored to have the Black Roses, you know, playing this concert. And then we flip it over to the, the great scene of Mrs. Miller and the committee with all the parents in tow doing the best interpretation of the PMRC you could ever see in a horror movie about metal, where look at this record cover. It's clearly Satan. And we cannot have this band <laughs> play in our town just to look at them and their, their hair and their music and their lyrics. And my God, think about the children. And you think that's going to be the whole point, is that they're going to be like, yeah, you know, get the band out of here. No. Mayor Farnsworth stands up, and he's like, hey, guys, you know, remember back in the day when Elvis Presley was playing and, and uh, the Beatles? Remember the Beatles? <laughs> yep. Just a little bit of teenage rebellion, I tell you. I think we should let them play. And besides, I can't do anything about it because the school board said yes. It's like I wanted there to be an angle where there was a reason why he was so fucking excited to get the Black Roses. Like, I wanted him to be a fan. Like, I wanted him to be like a closeted Black Roses fan where he opens up the closet and he's got the record in there. And he's like, I like metal, too. Like, you know. he, he, he's, he's got a jacket hanging in the closet. <laughs> just a denim jacket with the logo on the back like Johnny has later on in the movie. Like, just hanging there. <laughs> Because for some reason he was yeah. southern and he was from New York, like he had that weird southern accent, but yet he's from yeah, New York. It, like you know, there's some Canadians yeah. and there's southern people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> weird ass shit, you know. Yeah, remember when your son he used to listen to the Beatles and he grew out his hair all along, and we wanted to ride him out of town on a rail, and it's like, wait a minute, what the fuck are you? Who the fuck are you? <laughs> what part of New York are you from? You <laughs> <laughs> know, it was so it was so strange. Like none, like none of the accents make. It's either very Canadian or it's oddly Southern. Like it's like the only character that has a, a New York accent is Vinny Pastore, who we're going to talk about a little later on, who shows up in the movie from you know for you know he's he's like oh Maroon. I'm like hey look an actual Italian in this movie. You know that that brings it back to New York. But um, yeah, go ahead. Monk, I'm sorry. And, no, I just wanted to backtrack to the whole PMRC thing because that little scene that, you know, with Canic Panic and whatnot, it's like, you know, again, we should not be forgetting these times where, you know, people were trying to crack down on music, you know, crack down on media, you know, and trying to ban, you know, not, you know, and, you know, not just censor and not, not just rate. They were just trying to straight up ban stuff, you know, and this really happened. You know, this, this is part – of American history, this is part of music history, this is part of movie history, yep. you know, it, and it and they did a great job of that scene of showing, like you said, you know, the the sheer satanic panic of it all, you know, because it wasn't that the lyrics were sitting there, you know, talking about sex or talking about killing people or something like that. It was about Satan, and it was God-fearing yeah. Christians that wanted to sit there and crush the spread of the word of Satan. You know, so we gotta get rid of these records. We gotta sit there and burn them. We gotta sit there and take all their clothing and all their pamphlets and all their records and have a great big fire to burn Satan away. It's like again, Christians fucking love burning shit. You know, even though I thought that's kind of a Satanist thing, right? <laughs> yeah, you would think so, but for some reason they're pyromaniacs at heart. Like they really are. Like for some reason. You know, they they just they don't know any better, so it's fine. But you know, it's the whole thing of of the parents being kind of upset about it. But the mayor's like, kind of, I'm okay with it because the school board said yes. So they clearly supersede my power as mayor. 
Like, whatever the school board says goes, guys. So we're going to have this concert whether you like it or not, so just kind of have fun with it. And we, we go back to the angsty Johnny, you know, and, oh, man, he's like, you know, with my pants. I'm just, he's got the most chill father in this entire fucking movie. I know the message is, you know what, he's not really available emotionally to his son to be concerned about him, but I would have loved to have that dad. The dad just sat there and he talked about the newspaper. Hey, you have a good time at the show? Oh, okay. Yeah, and then he just goes back to read the newspaper. He's not like, where were you? What are you doing out so late? Like, the son comes home like 3 o'clock in the morning. He's like, oh, hey, yeah, yeah welcome home. You know, and it just goes back to his newspaper. I was like, most chill dad ever. And he's like, my dad sucks. I was like, what's your problem? You can go out whenever you want. You can do whatever you want. You could you steal a paint can from a hobby store and go, I'm going to fucking turn it down red. And then just paint the explanation point. <laughs> wow. You know, the, the whole, you know, paint the town red thing. And it's like, I'm going to break the store. And I come back with a pre-opened can of red paint. That is, you know, <laughs> not even going to stir it or nothing. Or like, you know, <laughs> throw it on something. No, I'm going to literally paint. <laughs> the street, yeah. Up part of the street. <laughs> it was no, a devil tank can you. because it catches fire. Okay. <laughs> it was a devil tank can because it catches fire. So we see that it catches fire, so that means that it was a devil tank can. And that there's just no That's why it was only half empty. Cause the devil needed to paint a sick fucking sign on the back of his van. So he had to use half of that red paint. <laughs> you know, so that's why it was gone. But uh, this that, is that's the my part red of the movie paint. that I really like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but this is the part of the movie that I really do enjoy. And this is the part where I'm like, okay, this is clearly aimed at the people that are so afraid of metal music, the satanic panic parents, as I like to call them, is because they have all the parents gathered for the Black Roses show, and they're like, we want to see what this band's all about. We want to see their, their satanic power and how disgusting they are and how vile they are. All the teenagers are amped up because they finally get to see this band. So you have Damien show up on stage wearing a white trench coat, and all the other band members are wearing white in some way, shape, or form. Hey, how's it going, everybody? I want to sing a song about my hometown and going home. And then he's just playing this very soft rock, you know, ballad, Paradise, Coming Home is the name of the song. And just, you know, the parents are like, oh, oh, okay. This isn't so bad. And even the mayor is like, hey, I'm, you know, we were probably too quick to judge them. But Mr. Morehouse. That English teacher is like, mm, I don't know. The best part is when Morehouse is leaving the auditorium, you have the most 80s moment I've ever seen in a movie. Him looking back at, at Damien and Damien looking back at him and then just sharing a moment. I'm like, this is the most 80s moment ever. It's like, this is an after-school special moment. <laughs> Where he just sings that like a, about a family, family, family ties episode. <laughs> Like, you almost expected there to be a freeze frame, and all of a sudden you hear a voice saying, we'll be right back. <laughs> you know, like, it, it was so like that. But then as soon as the parents are completely gone, and Mr. Morehouse, who has the suspicions, are gone, the lights go out, they immediately come back on, and hell yeah, fucking metal, you know, and they start rocking out you know, to, to the next part of their songs, but showing you that they're not all wholesome and sweet. They're actually the same panic, panic that the parents are worried about, and they're going to rock this kid's faces <gasps> off. Oh, my goodness. 
they're going to melt your faces off. Yeah, and, but, but the funny thing is, yeah, like on top of this, man, is as soon as the fucking door closes and the parents leave, like literally as soon as the door closes, not even like giving them time to leave the building, as soon as the door closes, then they're like, are, no, then they're like, then they're like, are they gone? Are they gone? Are the parents gone? All right, let's fucking rock! <laughs> <laughs> they, they haven't even left the building yet. Like, they're not even to their cars yet. And already they've ripped off their clothes, and they're wearing black leather, and they're playing this metal song, like, <laughs> and just going to town. But I love the fact that you have this first show is down the next day when Morehouse is at school, and he's trying to teach these kids. All the kids are tired. And they're not giving the right answers. I'm like, oh my god, they're like normal teenagers that just went to a rock show the night before. <laughs> and Morehouse is looking at them like they're disciples of Satan. Oh my goodness, Satan has a grasp on these kids. I'm like, no, they're all just fucking tired and exhausted because they probably got home at one o'clock in the morning because rock shows don't go until nine thirty. They go all fucking night in the metal, like, you know. And I'm sorry, but no, it's just you know. <laughs> It's just they're kids being kids, and even the even the uh, the guidance counselor is like, man, he's like they they're just rebelling. They're teenagers. They went to go see a metal show. What do you expect? Like they, you know, it'll blow over. The band will leave, and then they'll return back to normal. So he's like, but goddamn it, one minute they're they're obsessed with finals, and the next minute it's all heavy metal. It's been one night, dude. <laughs> Literally one show. And already he's crying and going, what can I do to save these kids? Like, you know, like, dude, give it a rest. It's one night. But apparently one night is all it takes because now we have Tony getting into a pickup fight with a guy trying to take a record from him. And then he body slams him like Mr. Perfect in WWF <laughs> into a crowd of people. <laughs> it's like this is what the band does to them. Turns them into just lawless people. Um, <laughs> just so great just one show and already we have tony acting out and just being angry um and morehouse decides that's it i gotta confront damien about it and what does damien do he takes off his mullet and he pours him glasses of milk and he's like ah gee you know hey hey there mr morehouse yeah golly uh you know i just like to play metal because it's my artistic expression and i'm talking about the environment and things the kids are hip to you get what i'm saying hey drink your milk I, just, I love the fact that Damien turned it on so well, taking off the, the mullet, tucking his shirt into his pants, drinking the milk. Just do like again. This is like a parent's worst fear in the satanic panic, is that this lead singer is going to look normal, but as soon as your back is turned, he's going to rip his shirt off and he's going to have like nipple clamps. He's gonna be like, I want to seduce your kids. <laughs> yeah, because he's like, you know, hey, we think about family values, you know, because, you know, that's what's important, right? And we want to reach the kids and, you know, teach them good, good things. Oh, drink your milk. Because <laughs> you might be bigger <laughs> than me now, but I've been drinking milk, and one day I'm going to be bigger and stronger than you. <laughs> yeah. One day I'm going to be bigger, and I'll be able to take you on in a fight, Mr. Morehouse, and until then, I'll see you later. You know, and then as he begins to leave, we see Julie come in that we didn't mention it before, but a lot of people suspect that there's a fling going on between Morehouse and Julie. There's really not. She might have a little bit of a crush on him, but he's completely done because there's this whole B-plot with him and Priscilla Farnsworth, the mayor's daughter, fucking desperate as hell. He must have a fucking hog in his pants because she is like, why won't you take me back? And he's like, hey, man, I'm all about the kids. I gotta teach these kids. 
<laughs> his whole <laughs> fucking message the entire movie is just, it's all about the children. It's all about their education. And she's like, but don't you want to believe in love? He's like, I believe in education. No, and then <laughs> she's like, you know, fuck the, fuck the education and your spoiled little kids. What do you think you're going to really teach them? It's like, wow. It's like, what a fucking cunt. You know, it's like, oh, fuck the kids, you know. <laughs> it's like, well, won't you take me back with, with your 80s mustache and, and, and your 80s mini sports car, which I think was a Nissan. <laughs> Oh, I'm surprised you couldn't figure that out. I was like, you know, if anybody's going to know what that car is, it's going to be the monkey. Can't figure it out, huh? Oh, oh they stumped you. Oh, damn it, I found a movie that stumped you on cars. But, yeah, whatever it is, it, it's a car that a teacher would drive that's trying to be cool for the kids. <laughs> and it gets vandalized at a certain point, but he still drives it. Um, so while Tony's at home playing his record, listening to Me Against the World again, because, God damn it, I love that song. But we have him listening to the record, and who shows up? Vinny Pastore. The only Italian in this entire movie was it. Oh, my Lord, what's that music you're playing? Huh? You know, these. And he's like, what's this? You got an earring in your ear? You know, there's only two types of people that wear earrings, gay people and pirates. And I don't see a ship in my driveway. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I said gay people because I'm not using the F word. So you guys imagine what he said. Huh? I'm just going to be friendly <laughs> and just say gay people. <laughs> so Tony, getting all pissed off, decides to leave the room. I, whatever, Dad. You just don't understand the metal. Well, the metal's going to understand his dad because eventually we start seeing that record Tony was playing start to bubble and pulsate and start to slowly rotate by itself even after his father turned it off. And as we start <laughs> to hear some backmasking, suddenly a creature bursts out from the speaker attached to a tube in the speaker attacking the father before dragging him back into that speaker and burping loudly. Wow, I, I wanted to like, get your quick thoughts on that because it's so fucking hilarious seeing this practical puppet just bouncing up and down on top of any Pastor and him trying to fight it off and then getting dragged full on into that speaker until it shuts off with a burp. Uh, first of all, the car was a 1985 300ZX Nissan. But oh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> but, yeah, this whole, this whole scene, man, was uh, awesome trauma. You know, 100% of the way. <laughs> yeah. Again, just all of the cheesy stuff that was going on. Uh, like you said, the speaker, the record, you know, the stereo that wouldn't, get, you know, stay off. It just kept turning back on. And, yeah, just this evil, evil hand puppet that just kept snapping at him. And, yeah, I, I, I really wish when it had gone for the face, we would have gotten a little splatter, a little gore. Um, but, yeah. but, mm -hmm. but. Uh, again, it's like when it got to the point where it's like the you know he, he started getting sucked into the speaker, and then l you literally have a you know a solid thirty seconds of just watching a foot wiggle in the speaker, and then it gets sucked in. I, I, I was just fucking rolling. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was so great because it's like one of the first deaths that you get in the movie. Um, we also have Morehouse. I love the fact that he changes out of a sweater into a more sensible button-down blue shirt. Like, he can't just take off the sweater and throw it on the couch and be like, oh, yeah, I'm relaxing. No, he's got to put on a blue button-down shirt. And he's just like, yeah, got to listen to my classical music and relax for the night. Because this, this is what Magnum P.I. would do if he was Mr. Rogers, man. That's true. He wouldn't <laughs> he do that. In, he comes <laughs> in his home. He wouldn't change to a cardigan. No, he changed to a nice button-down, let it low, you know, sit there and have a beer. And here you know it's Canada because he poured it to a glass. 
uh, okay, <laughs> instead of drinking mm-hmm. it straight from the bottle. And then, you know, yeah, because he's a cool you know, teacher, you know, yeah, he, he needs to listen to some Mozart chamber music because that's his jam. It's not metal, but it's his jam. Because he's even like, oh, yeah, Mozart. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get into it. That's how it. he does it, you know. And he does it, you know, he does it, and his car ends up being vandalized by Johnny and Tony. But we also have the, the next night of Black Rose's show. And at this show, we start to see the band getting a little bit more satanic. The crowd's starting to chant Damien's name as they fall more into his trap. But we also get Soldiers of the Night being played for the first time live. And we also get teens being zapped so hard with the metal that their faces melt off. So you get this really, cheesy, but <laughs> this really fun but cheesy effect of their faces literally getting melted off by the metal as Damien salutes them as they sacrifice themselves. Nobody else around them notices. <laughs> but, yes, they are, they are being turned into melted puppets you know, in the crowd, and then it's just, it's over. <laughs> you know, that's the show. Yeah. Oh, man, this is so fucking cool. Johnny returns home once again, coolest dad in the world. Oh, hey, how's the show? You know, and running off into his bedroom, rocking out, you know, doing air guitar. I'm going to go to bed with my Silver Party Massacre poster and my Dawn of the Dead poster, maybe smoke a cigarette. <laughs> I don't know. I'm 46. I can do what I want. And all of a sudden, <laughs> here comes the basis for the band naked as shit and laying on top of him getting ready to do the old bone city. And I was like, oh, look at you, Johnny. Like, you know, getting that girl, man. Like, you know, don't know what you did to get that, but you're, you're, you're doing it. <laughs> She's taking a ride on the bone coaster. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> taking all the way to O-Town. Yeah, but, so, but this is when we get to see that the, all the teams are starting to rebel in some way, shape, or form. Downtown's becoming more of like a skid row. Uh, Tony at one point returned home, <laughs> and his mother, who has made no acknowledgement of the father being dead, not like, oh my God, your father. No, she's just taking out the trash. And she's like, God damn it, Tony, you're playing your music and you're driving home late at night. Mom, he backs over her with the car, <laughs> drives off. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and because he's Italian, what did he drive? A fucking IROG Z. He's clearly He's Italian with the slick back hair And, and the bad attitude but yeah, I just love the fact that she's like What did I tell you about being laid out at night and I, oh, 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 You're backing up with me You're backing up with me in the car Okay, you know I'll answer this um, We have and we then, she, to the fly, and then she flies yeah. man After, no, he, after he hits oh, her man. He doesn't run her over She flies through the air all trauma style Whee Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it, was clearly, yeah. it was clearly Toxic Avenger. <laughs> it was amazing <laughs> to see her fly through the air. And then you cut to the Miller's house, because as we saw Mrs. Miller earlier in the film, she was the one that was against this band in the first place coming to town, leading that committee. We see her husband reading the newspaper, and for some reason, their, their little son, Jason, is awake, and he's throwing really fucking cool action figures into the fire, because apparently he's also affected by the satanic power of the Black Roses, even though he's never been to a Black Roses show. For some reason, he is also under the satanic grip. So, oh, my goodness. <laughs> it is true satanic. Yeah, but, <laughs> but also, it's like it's 11 o'clock at night. He's, the stereo's on. He's playing in front of the fireplace. He's playing with his Mego DC action figures. That's what, that's what those were. Um, and he's, you know... <laughs> And, Myster- cool. and Myster- Mysterio's the bad guy, and he's throwing his Batman and Superman into the fire, and his dad's like, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, like, first of all, dude, 
he's sitting right in front of you. You know it's fucking <laughs> 11 o'clock. Don't act like he, as the studio is blasting. Why are you acting all of a sudden mm-hmm. surprised? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it was it was because he, then he's like well, go, he's like well, what are you doing that for? Why are you throwing your figures into the fire? He goes well they're the villains. It's like oh, okay, so the kid doesn't even have to go to a show. He's just he's possessed. So that's cool. I guess their 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 power extends that far. So the kid disappears, never to be seen from again. So we don't even get like another evil scene where he's beating a cat to death or you know punching another kid in the face at the playground. No, he just he's gone. Um, but instead that was what we a, do that, get is that was Jamie, a Snyder cut. Snyder cut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the justice is gray. The justice is metal cut, I should say. This, this is the metal version. But we have uh, Janie and Tina coming home. Tina is the friend of, of Janie. Janie is Mr. Miller's daughter. And she's like, hey, my parents are going to be home for a long time. Do you mind if I stay here for a while? And Janie, of course, says, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. Tina, don't fuck my dad while I go to bed. I won't. Let's play wink, strip wink. gin instead. <laughs> <You know? laughs> And Mr. Miller, the entire time, he's on the verge of having a heart attack, this entire scene. Even before she takes off one thing, he's already sweating. He's already grabbing his chest. I was like, this poor guy. <laughs> he's trying to. He's trying not to be into it, but he's into it. Uh, you know, just playing oh, around and, and, yeah. Yeah, he's totally into mm-hmm. it, especially when she's like, well, let's play strip gin. I'm sure you know the rules, right? And he's like, um, um, yeah, I do, actually. Uh, but maybe we should. And she's like, oh, come on. I'll start. And she takes off one shoe. And she's like, okay, come on, let's play. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you and, know, yeah, she's having fun with it. He's having fun with it. Like, of course, he loses, like, all his clothes, like, in the first round. So he's down with his, his uh, you know, undershirt and his boxers while she's taking off, you know, her stockings. But then across town, after Johnny's done fucking, you know, the basis of the band, she disappears like she was never there. And all of a sudden, Johnny's Billy Idol rocking that one glove. In the midnight hour, babe. I fucked up bases, bases, bases. Like, and he's like, like, he's doing the fist like Billy Idol would do. Like, you know, I was like, all he needs to do is curl the whip a little bit. And he's full on, you know, Billy. But instead of just rocking out in the mirror and just like kind of making his cock through the helicopter because he just fucked an imaginary person. No, what is his response? <laughs> well, I'm going to grab a gun and go hunt my chill dad down and tell him that I love him before I shoot him. And he's like, hey, son, what you got there? A gun, huh? You're going to use it on me, are you? Oh, okay, I guess. <laughs> the poor dad. Like, you know, he's just, like the coolest dad in the world, and he's dead now. Thanks a lot, Johnny. Like, that guy didn't care. Like, he, you could have been doing cocaine right in front of him. He was like, oh, looks like you got some of that nose candy, huh? All right, well. I'm going to be here reading the newspaper if you need me. Like, no, I just couldn't believe the dad, you know, being killed. But this is to show how evil these kids are becoming. Because even Tina, yeah, but the, after she strips off her shirt, yeah, good. Oh, no, but mm-hmm. you're back to Johnny. It's the whole click, click, and it's like, thanks you let me do whatever I wanted, Dad. He's such an asshole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. Thanks for literally letting me do anything that I've ever wanted to do in my entire life and just letting me come and go as I want. Like, that sucks. I wish you were more of a dad, but no. And so he ends up killing him. Tina, uh, Tina w- loses, I guess, the strip jing game, as we should say, and she strips off her shirt to show her tits to, to Mr. Miller, and she proceeds to kiss him, but we cut away. We don't really see what happens. We get dialogue later that he died of a heart attack. He was found dead by his <laughs> wife, and that's sad, but, you know, those. But I love the next day in class because everybody looks like they're dressed for the stage production at Greece too. 
all of a sudden everybody's in black leather pants and black leather shirts and they all have their hair slicked back. And I was like, boom, everybody in this class dressed like, the, you know, the Grease production. I was like, are they going to jump up and sing Grease Lightning? You know, you know, I have no idea. Like, I was like, can we have some denim jackets in here? Can we get some cheetah prints? You know, zebra. What, you know, I was like, there's too many greasers. Like, we're in a metal movie. But it's, it's fine. You know, it's just a show of the, the generation of the kids. Um, Janie goes to talk to the, the, the guidance counselor about everything that's been going down in the house. She's bummed that her dad's dead. And the guidance counselor, oh, man, he doesn't know what to do. He's just like, oh, gee, that's, uh, I don't know. Like, uh, what do you think would help? And she's like, well, maybe it would help if I screamed. You know, that might just work. You know, it's a good thing I'm on the third floor of this high school. I'm just going to go ahead and open up this window, and you go ahead and scream as loud as you want. How does that work out for him? Yeah. Well, he takes the header out of the window. <laughs> yeah, but that's what you get for not actually being a decent counselor because it, also the entire time while he was talking to her, he keeps flip, turning around and flipping to, through a book, checking, you know, checking shit real quick. He's like, oh, maybe I should try this. Oh, wait, maybe I should try that. <laughs> yeah. And so, meanwhile, we have Morehouse who, instead of getting back together with Priscilla like the mayor just wants him to do, despite his numerous pleas of please God, no. She's an absolute monster, and I'd rather just be single for a while and work on me. He decides to go to the library with hero music in tow and look up everything he can about witchcraft and Satanism and anything that could help him because these kids are being fucking seduced. They are being selected by the devil, and we get that because now at the Black Roses show, you are the Black Roses, the flowers of evil. You have been chosen. It's like, okay, so we're having our We Are Group moment with Damien getting them all hyped up to be really excited for their show. Let's make Blood City. You know, like, oh, I just love the, the white eye effect on Damien turning to the screen. But then we get the, the minute and a half segment of the actress from the neck down. Clearly not Julie, but an actress from the neck nope. down just stealing up her tits for a solid minute and a half. Yep. No reason, none needed. <laughs> Why is this in this movie? I'm not arguing. And it's an 80s movie, so it's fine. But it just, it, it, you know, it's clearly not the actress because nope. they have to do the pan nope. down so you don't see her face. And it's just, oh, you know, she pulls her top back up. Her dad is wearing a Yankees cap, so he's clearly from New York, watching TV, oh, you know, yeah. smoking a cigarette, you know. Oh, hey, oh, what, uh, what you doing there? Where's mom? Where's my mom? Oh, you know, she's out, you know, at work. Oh, well, maybe I should give you a backup. Oh, I'd like to see you. Came around, huh? Okay. Well, you know, I was like, yeah, he's so kidding. I, I love Paul Kelman. I'm friends with him on Facebook. It's just so great. You know, he actually put a clip of this movie up on his Facebook recently because he's in it. But he's just so Canadian, and I love him for it. But as he thinks he's going to get something to stepdaughter, uh, his stepdaughter, what he actually gets is an ashtray to the back of the head. And he, he's beaten to oh, death by it. And, and because it's the 80s, it's a huge stone ashtray. It's not, you know, a little rinky-dink tin ashtray. Because this is how we fucking rolled in the 80s. Or even smoking was metal. And it was required for every family to have a fucking ashtray. Because everyone fucking smoked in the 80s. Because that's what you fucking did. All right? 
even if you didn't smoke in in your house and you were a non-smoking home, you still had a fucking ashtray for when people came over and smoked in your fucking house. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Everybody smoked in the house. Everybody smoked in the car. The window was always cracked like a fucking half a centimeter. So even if you didn't want to smoke, you smoked. (laughs) Because in the wintertime, those windows were rolled all the way up. And you just had to kind of deal with it until you got to wherever you had to get to because it was too cold outside. So they're not rolling down that window. <laughs> you just but kind of had no. to deal with it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah I, I dealt with it. I know you're a little bit older than I am, but believe me, I dealt with it plenty of times. I dealt with many smoky basements <laughs> and a lot of beer being passed around, you know, as a kid. And, whatever, this can't harm him. He's not smoking it. What the hell is secondhand smoke? I don't understand that at all. <laughs> so with, with Julian's stepdad dead. <laughs> Oh, I know. Yeah, just, you know, here's another beer in Uncleville. There you go. I'll take my dollar now. <laughs> but uh, with, uh, with Julie's stepdad dead, Morehouse is in a race against time after waking up in the library to, to find her and, and try to put a stop to this whole thing, the madness that's going on. But she's not home. Only Julie's mom is, and she called the police because she came home and found her, her husband dead. What are you going to do? Well, I guess I'm going to go find your daughter. Mr. Morehouse, go <laughs> Hero music in tow again. He, For some reason, he gets hero oh, music. Okay. Dude, you, you called that, too, the cheesy-ass fucking hero music they were playing? But, okay, but are you going to sit there before all of that? Are you going to go to the park and talk about what happened there? Well, no, this is after. No, this is, yeah, no, this happens after he, he leaves Julie's house. Because he okay. leaves Julie's house, and he's driving back to his house. And in between that time, Priscilla is at the park, and she just got done with, like, a tennis game. Did you notice that there's the sound of kids playing, but there's no kids around? Like, that park yeah. is empty. There's not a soul around. But you hear kids going, yeah, yeah, woo, woo, yeah. Like, you know, like, there's not a single kid in that park. That's the most dead park yeah. that you could ever ask for. <laughs> It's to show that it's an active park, and it's, you know, because it's the 80s again, you know, now that she's just playing tennis, she's playing in the all-white tennis outfit, you know, like uh, in the movie Fletch, you know, where you got to have the tennis yeah. outfit mm-hmm. when you go to play tennis. Yeah. Because that's what you fucking oh, do. Yeah. As she gets into her plush as fuck, <laughs> Limited edition yeah. Lincoln Continental. Yeah, I knew that mm-hmm. one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I figured you would. And it's pretty obvious. I mean, it's a really fucking nice Lincoln Continental. Um, but again, uh-huh. you know, people, I don't care if you're in a horror movie. I don't care if it's real life. If you have a car that has back seats, check the back seats. I don't care if it's daytime. <laughs> I don't care if it's nighttime. Just do your due diligence because you never know. You know what? The one time you're like, you know what? I'm safe. Nothing can happen. You're going to have a girl like Julie pop up from behind you and slice your fucking throat open. And not only that, set your car on fire. So just insult on injury right there, you know. So just do yourselves a favor. This is a PSA from your old pal, the King RNDG. If you drive a car with a backseat, check it. Just for me. Do it for me, guys. I don't want to see you guys get murdered. I don't want to see you guys end up in a horror movie. Just, you know, do you, just check it. You know? And if there's somebody back there, just walk away. That car's yep. not that Stranger important. Danger. You get another one. <laughs> That's life. You don't need it. So, he, so Morehouse returns home. He gets the phone call that the car was found. It's been set on fire. Of course, Farnsworth is devastated. So before 
Morehouse could even really kind of process this whole thing, even though he really didn't want her anyway. Julie shows up, and she tries to seduce him one last time. Morehouse reduces him. Oh, yeah. She turns into a fucking dick monster, complete with a bald head and a wide mouth on top of a body, screeching and screeching and screeching as he tries to smack the shit out of her with a tennis racket, not working. The fight goes into the kitchen, and with a broken chair, he stabs the Julie monster to death with it. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. I'm like, yeah, oh, fuck is right, dude. It's a fucking monster. It's a fucking bald-ass monster with hits <laughs> in your kitchen. How are you going to explain this to the police? <laughs> At the same time, i got to give huge props for this thing just because I had trouble figuring out how they did this fucking build because it's yeah. obviously... Oh, yeah. Here, mm-hmm. here we see her take her clothes off, so we actually see her breasts. So now we know that those Sorry. are definitely not the breasts not we saw before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, yep, but, <laughs> but but we have, you know, this weird ass thing on top of her body as she's walking around naked and it's just like you said, like a giant dick on top of her head. <laughs> no, it's a giant penis monster and it's a cool effect because you can't really tell, which is what I loved about it, is that you, you think that you can, but then again you're like, Well that doesn't make any sense. I mean it's just it's a very cool effect. But he does get the upper hand and, and stabs her to death, although we do see that she's not really dead because when he goes to the final concert, she's there. So what the fuck he just killed, I don't know. I mean, I, I, fuck it. Who cares? I mean, it, it happened. It was cool. That's all that matters because it's the fucking 80s, man. Do whatever you want. So just have fun with it. He's got to go to Texaco because he's got to fill up his container of gas and get some road flares, you know, from the gas station. <laughs> dentist, you know. And you can tell it's Canada because center is spelled very French-Canadian. It's not, not the center that we're used to in America. It's that Canadian way of spelling center, which I love. They're like, okay, they're not even hiding it anymore. They're in Canada. Look at all the Blue Jays t-shirts that are in the audience. <laughs> Give those kids some Yankees t-shirts. But no. So we have the final concert, Morehouse with the gas can, with the flares. He's ready to just destroy this band once and for all and save his town. The teens in the audience are officially the worst fear of any parent, like we've been talking about this entire time. Now they're just brain-dead zombies. They are just flailing Damien. arms around, dead behind Damien. the eyes. Oh, Damien. 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 <laughs> they, they just they don't have any rhyme or reason. They're just there to chant Damien you know, as he begins to play his final show about how they're all together now as one. But unfortunately, Morehouse is up on stage. Oh, don't mind me. I'm just going to slash a little gas oh. around. Oh, you, he, you yeah, guys have a walked great all show. The way th- walked all the way through the fucking crowd with the fucking <laughs> gas can up on the stage, and no one noticed until he tripped. <laughs> <laughs> what the shit? Now they notice. Oh, darn. And that's when you have Damien grabbing onto Julie, who is not dead, as I said. She's very much alive. But kind of realizing that this spell has been broken and that she sees Damien for what he really is. Um, as Damien tells him, these were your children. Now they're mine. You can't have them because they're under my power. Well, the fuck I can't. I'll fight you anyway. And Damien's laugh at this point is fucking classic because it's not even like an evil laugh. It's like, ha, 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 ha. Like, it's, not, it's, not like, it's not evil. It's not, like, you know, it's sinister. It's a rock. Ha, ha. It's a Robin Hood laugh. 
It's a mocking Robin Hood laugh is what it is. <laughs> like, you could have gone so many different ways with it, but instead it sounds like a very waspy white guy on a yacht laughing yeah. at poor people walk by. <laughs> 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 you know? But the thing is, is that there's and, a very small transformation that happens. So it's like a, he whips uh, off his mullet and he's bald, and then he starts to flex his muscles and he transforms a little bit, but then he turns into a fucking Starlack monster from Star Wars for some reason. For some reason, all of a sudden, he is coming out of the pit. Yeah, good. It's like, because here I thought we were going to get the demons that we saw at the beginning of the movie. You know, I thought that's where we were going to go with this. No, but apparently, no, Damien has another form. This is Damien's final form, okay? And, you know, this is supposed to be the scary, full-on, full-body demonic thing. And it's the cutest fucking thing. It's so fucking it's cute. It's, it's when it turned, I was like, oh, my God. Who the fuck fucked up this? Who was like, let's make something scary. And they're like, here you go. And they're like, oh, my God, I just want to squeeze his cheeks. It's so cute. <laughs> it's just a big rubber suit. It looks like a Sarlacc monster. That's the only thing I was like, Sarlacc monster in my movie? I was like, okay, that's fine. But you have this weird, like, star... Trek-esque 60s fight between Damien the monster and Morehouse, where they're kind of punching each other, but kind of not, where you have the band, you know, just kind of being ghouls in the background. That was great to have that I got to. But then when they're fighting and stuff like that, every... Every time you yeah, would punch the monster, you see you would see the rubber suit flex. It's like, yeah, it, was so, oh, it was so oh. bad. That's what made me. That's what I was going to get at is the fact that how does Morehouse defeat the evil? He kicks it in the nards, and when he kicks it in the nards, you see the rubber suit bounce. So it's like you can tell it's just so rubber as he kicks it right in the dick, and he's like, "I'm going to get this," and he manages to light the flare on fire. And set the stage on Damien's fire. What do the fans do? Keep on playing. Ding. They kept playing. They grab their instruments and start playing. Because, yes, this is fucking so metal. Like, I'm sorry, this is not how you kill demons by letting them on fire. That's how they get hard. That's their Viagra. Like, if they can't get their dicks up, they fucking light themselves on fire. But this is That's what sets the audience to go, oh shit, evil, and the audience runs out of the theater, like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And then you just have Damien dancing on stage. I'm like, yeah, because if you're going to defeat evil, you bring, like, a super soaker filled with holy water, like in The Lost Boys. Do something <laughs> that's, like, good, you know, bring a crucifix and stab him in the dick with it or something. Like, you know, you don't bring fire. That's just, you know, no, that's just but, an aphrodisiac to demons. But, but, because just like in From, from Dust Till Dawn, everything's going to fucking shit. Fuck it, man. Keeps on playing, man. We don't stop this shit because this is fucking metal. <laughs> like, you know, and yeah, Damien's dancing around on stage. And you have all these kids running out and Morehouse is yelling at the mayor, we got to get the kids out. I did it. I destroyed the band. He's like, yeah, get the kids out. And you see Johnny and now- being rushed out. Screaming, what happened to my dad? I'm like, oh, okay, that's the angle they're going with, is that they have no recollection. Like, the spell's broken. <laughs> yeah, but then they're like, you know, the fire department's showing up, and you know, this, and he's like, no, no, let it burn. Let it burn. Don't put it out. Let it burn. See? <laughs> yeah, that's why I think that David Gordon Green watched this movie before he made Halloween Kills, because that's exactly what Laurie Strode says in that trailer 
as the fire trucks are driving past the pickup truck. Let it burn. Let him die. I'm like, oh, somebody's all black roses. <laughs> somebody's copying <laughs> it. <laughs> but, so Johnny's being escorted away. He's screaming about where his dad is. Then we have Tony running out with his leather jacket and the arms on fire. He's like, hey, oh, hey, hey, what the fuck? Hey, hey, I'm a fire over here. <laughs> hey, what, what, what's going out. on? Oh, shit. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm on fire over here. Oh, my God. Like, oh, my God. Like, you know, I'm, I'm on fire over here. <laughs> Somebody going to put me out? I mean, you got a blanket or something? Uh, we got some boxes. <laughs> it was just like, oh, man, just him just freaking out with his arm on fire was hilarious. But at the conclusion, we cut to six months later. Morehouse is hanging out with the mayor in the mayor's living room. When a report comes on the television about the Black Roses returning to the stage after <gasps> a brief hiatus, they were just seen at Madison Square Garden in New York City, and now they're going <gasps> off to Britain, baby. The spread, the seed of evil. And that's exactly how we end the movie, with just a picture of Damien and evil. I was like, oh, yeah, man. <laughs> just kick it back into Me Against the World by Lizzie Borden. <laughs> and I'm a happy boy. Um, so, yeah, that's Black Roses from 1988. Um, I just love, love, love this movie. It's so cheesy. The soundtrack is amazing. Like we were saying, it's got... You know, it's got Matsy on it. It's got Bango Tango, Lizzie Borden, King Cobra, Tempest, Howl's Eve, David Michael Phillips. You know, it's got all these great hair metal acts from way back in the day that I just I think still stand up. Um, and it's just one of those movies that falls into that hair metal horror that, like I said at the beginning, was so prevalent back in the 80s and 90s because of Satanic Panic. So Black Roses might be my favorite one, followed by Trick or Treat which came out just two years prior um, with soundtrack <laughs> by Fastway. And Fastway, for those of you guys who don't know out there, was a, a metal band back in the 80s, but the lead singer went on to form Flogging Mollet. So that's where you get the lead singer from Fastway going to a completely different sound of Flogging Molly. Um, but oh, another, yeah. another, heavy, another heavy metal horror that I think would pair very well with Black Roses. So if you're looking for, like, a double feature, you know, with somebody – I think Black Roses and Trick or Treat would be really well paired together, but uh, there's just so many others to explore. And I gave you some titles at the beginning. If you guys want to check some of those titles out there, they're available. So that was my pick, Very Metal. So thank you very much, Monkey, for joining me on that wild adventure into rock. But what do we have next week? Because next week, it's your last show until August, because we're taking a month-long hiatus to hang out with the little beastie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm taking a hiatus because uh, someone burnt me and my band up, so we need some time to heal up uh, after that. Uh, yeah, but then yeah. we'll be doing a tour no! over the UK. <laughs> but, um, oh, yeah, what? for my last thing. We're, we're <laughs> yeah, fucking Roy. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we're going to um, do Fourth of July movie because Fourth of July weekend is coming up, and we are going to go ahead and do Cape Fear from 1991. Oh, shit. Scorsese has entered the building. This is the first <laughs> time we've ever covered a Scorsese film on the Talking Terror show, and we are, are going for it, and we're going to treat it as professionally as possible. So it's kind of good we got all the laps out with Black Roses so we could watch Cape Fear and kind of to uh, – give it the talking terror treatment and, and enjoy it. I'm looking forward to it because I'm a fan of, of, of Kick Fear, both the original 
and the remake with Robert De Niro. So we'll see uh, how the other boys fare with it as the Dean comes back next week, and so is the ghoul. So we'll be all together for the Monkey's final pick of June and also his final pick until August. So thank you so much, Monkey, for joining me on this metal excursion. I've been going to dance with Boss after, you know, we, we get done with this show. But, yeah, I just I love Billy Idol, so I, get, I can't get enough. I'll always think Billy. But <laughs> thank you so much, uh, Monkey. Yep. I'm the Mad Monkey saying thanks for letting me come in your ear. <clears throat> and good night, everybody. Fucking middle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> I, I, I love doing these metal episodes because we can just act like assholes and just scream metal at the top of our lungs and do the devil horns like I've been doing the entire show. I, I love it. You know, again, I'll probably be the only one picking these heavy metal horror movies. So stay tuned down the road for another one <laughs> of, of my 80s heavy metal horror. So thank you so much, guys. I'm your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G, saying, Hail Satan, hail yourselves, hail odorous, hail the metal. And keep America strong, watch horror movies. And until next we meet for the monkey's last pick of Cape Fear, 1991. Stay scared, people. Stay scared. Shout at the devil!